Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have another guest for you. I hope you've been enjoying all my guest episodes. I love being able to bring you guys different perspectives, different areas of expertise that might not be of my own. And today, I'm bringing you Jesse Ginsburg. I've seen Jesse's videos pop up on Facebook left and right, and it really sparked my interest. She is all into intrinsic motivation, working with students with autism, and having a different mindset and perspective when it comes to planning and preparing for them so that you can get better results, better carryover, less behaviors, all that fun stuff. After today's episode, you're going to be thinking about how you can get rid of that token board or maybe even your prize bin. A little intrigued? (laughs) If you want to know a little bit more, Jesse, Jesse is a speech language pathologist and founder of the Pediatric Therapy Playhouse, a multidisciplinary clinic in Los Angeles. She is known internationally as the creator of ASD from the inside out an online course that teaches SLPs innovative ways to assess and treat young children on the autism spectrum. She presents at the state and national levels, contributes to the ASHA leader, and is a board member of the California Speech-Language Hearing Association. Without further ado, let's get on with the episode with Jesse Ginsburg. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. All right. Hey, Jesse, welcome to SLP Coffee Talk. 
Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you are here to talk all about intrinsic motivation with children with autism. This is really your passion. I see you talking about it all the time on social media. So tell everyone a little bit more about you and your journey from starting in the field to where you are now (laughs) with this passion. Yeah, it's so funny. I don't know if you ever just sit back and think the world is such a crazy place, just how things fall into place in life. But when I graduated college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, even though I had gotten this degree in communicative disorders. But I had my SLP assistant license. So I figured, oh, I'll try, I'll try it out. So I took this job at a multidisciplinary clinic and they told me, well, you're not just gonna be doing speech, you're also going to be doing floor time therapy. And I accepted the job and then I get home and I Google, what is floor time therapy? (laughs) I've never heard of it. And I mean, that is essentially really what shaped me and got me really into this specialization of working with kids with autism. But I ended up getting trained in floor time at that clinic. And then not too long after that, I had gotten my master's and then I ended up connecting with Jake Greenspan, who is the son of Stanley Greenspan, who created Floor Time. So Jake runs the Floor Time Center in Maryland. And ironically, I turned down a job there because I didn't want to only work with kids with autism. (laughs) I wanted to see all kinds of kids first off, you know, in my career. But we stayed in touch and then we ended up starting to present together and train SLPs how to work with kids more from a floor time perspective. So that's really just what shaped everything I started doing. And that's how I got into this whole, you know, building intrinsic motivation. That's awesome. And in case anyone listening is not familiar or maybe a little rusty, what is the like quick explanation of what floor time? I know what it is, but I want to make sure everyone else does. Yeah. So basically in floor time, you are helping kids go through these six milestones and it's really just improving their social, emotional, cognitive development. So it's really, you know, all encompassing. You don't have to have a specific degree to be trained in floor time. So typically I would say SLPs will just learn floor time and then they'll pull strategies from floor time to use in their speech sessions. What I ultimately started doing over time is taking these things that I'd learned in floor time and then integrating them into what I was learning in speech. And I just started coming up with these crazy and stupid analogies that I would use to teach other therapists or teach parents to help them when working with kids with autism. And that's how I started my ASD from the inside out course and all of that that goes with it was just all of these years of trying to figure out, well, what works for me and what resources and tools do I use? You know, because the theory from floor time is amazing. I love it so much. So it was, how do I take that and then use it more toward building speech and language? No, definitely. Like it's been a lot of years since I worked in a preschool. But when I did, based all my sessions around play, like I got, we were at the table and I followed the children's lead and whatever they were motivated by. And like, I tried to pull any goal possible at the moment versus having a therapy plan per se. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing for us therapists is being able to be flexible like that and being able to adapt what you're doing to meet the child and any goal 
has to be in that moment. Definitely. So say someone listening is saying, okay, how can I apply this to being a school-based SLP or working or at home or teletherapy, whatever they're doing? Like, how can you, they take some of these mindset shifts and apply it to where they're at? So it's interesting because it's almost easiest to say what not to do. First of all, knowing the difference between an extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation, whereas extrinsic motivation is really working towards some kind of external reward. So I like to explain to therapists that imagine two kids are playing basketball and they're on a team and one of them is playing basketball because he wants that trophy. You know, that kid is the one who's extrinsically motivated. He wants the reward. Whereas the other kid just likes to play basketball. You know, playing basketball is inherently satisfying to him. Mm -hmm. So how do we take that and apply that to working with kids on the spectrum? You know, because it's so easy to, I think, get caught up in this day-to-day data taking where we feel so much pressure that we have to get our goals met. We have to take data on X, Y, Z. So we almost feel pigeonholed into what we can do in our therapy. So we might feel like, oh, well, I really need to use this reward system because I have to get through these certain activities today. But really, for kids on the spectrum, the best thing we can do for them is work on improving their intrinsic motivation to communicate. You know, we don't want them to communicate with us and interact with us because they're going to get something or because they're going to get their preferred activity or they're going to get a break or they're going to get a high five. We want them to interact with us because it feels good because they want to interact with us and want to connect with us. So how do you find out what will make them intrinsically motivated? Ooh, good question. (laughs) So, you know, I think that it really goes back to finding something that truly engages the child and it's fun enough for the child to do that. And one of the things we could not do is set up reward systems, which is really hard for us because I think we're really trained in doing that. But things like if-then boards, if you do this, then you do that, are shown to decrease a child's intrinsic motivation over time. And just using a reward in general, there's actually been research that shows that when we encourage someone by motivating them with a reward, we are narrowing their ability to use logical, creative thinking. Hmm. So it's really interesting because so many of these demands that we're putting on kids and these language-based activities and conversation and play, we need creative thinking for those things. Mm -hmm. So something like a really simple, concrete task, external rewards can be great. But for something that really involves more creative and logical thinking, we really want those types of tasks to be a lot more inherently motivating for kids. But it's funny. There's this amazing book. It's called Drive by Daniel Pink. And he talks all about motivation. And um, he talks about this research study where these experimenters told preschool age children, if you draw me a picture, then you'll get a ribbon. So they did that over a couple of weeks. And what they found was that the kids who were were rewarded for drawing started to draw less in their free time. Mm. So it became less desirable for them. So it's funny. I mean, I know our kids are really similar ages, but I think about that kind of thing all the time in parenting. 
Yeah, and I, I'm thinking more of my own children at home with that. Like, even right now with everything, she loves computers and talk. Like, now it's like, now she's being forced to do it. Like, it's not as exciting anymore. <laughs> That's so funny because my son just had his fourth birthday and we had just done a Zoom call with my family and my best friend FaceTimed us to sing him happy birthday. And he goes, do we have another Zoom class right now? <laughs> <laughs> this is your birthday. You're supposed to be excited by it. So but yeah, same thing. You've been forced to do these Zoom classes every day. So it turns into something that's not fun. Where- but that goes back to the autonomy piece, which is one of the biggest motivators for anyone, kids or adults, is autonomy. We want to have control over what we do and when we do it. So something that would be really easy to do in sessions is give kids more control, as hard as that might be for us. You know, if they get to pick what they're doing and when they're doing it, they're ultimately going to be more motivated. Okay. So you have them picking, you have a slew of toys, a slew of activities. You say, you roam around the room, find what you want. So now they have it. Now, how do you recommend a therapist elicit what they still need to elicit during that activity? So other people would probably think I'm psycho (laughs) in my sessions, but I very rarely plan my sessions. So it really it comes back to that flexibility piece is, you know, you have to know that kid so well that you know what goals they're working on and how you can work on it regardless of what you're doing. But I very rarely do things like tabletop activities. I mean, we might play games, but you know, standard structured activities. So, but you know, I see a lot of preschool aged kids also. And I know this wouldn't necessarily be appropriate for older Mm -hmm. students, but I could target almost any goal through pretend play. Mm -hmm. And even older students can benefit from pretend play. I mean, Legos. Yeah, role playing. I mean, they still like all that fun stuff too. So even with like a video game, you can still target anything like stop, go, cause effect, like problem solving skills while you're playing any sort of video game. I think it's almost like when you just put that stipulation on them in the session, well, first we need to do this before you get a chance to do this. It's like they're already putting that up in their mind. Well, if she's rewarding me for doing this activity, that means it's not going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So true. And where they instead, if they're just having fun and at the same time, language is elicited, there's also more likelihood of carryover because they're going to be doing that when you're not there. Definitely, for sure. So what tips would you provide for like training parents or teachers for carrying some of these strategies over? One of the things I love to do is explain those analogies, kind of like that basketball analogy, and just to give them such an easy example and help them understand. But, you know, for kids on the spectrum, I mean, this is such a huge passion of mine because I think like I said, we get so caught up in this data taking and we have to hit our goals that we almost forget that it's not only our job to, you know, have that child meet their goals, but we need to look at the big picture. What do we want this kid's life to look like? Because a lot of the times, you know, it's so easy to just get caught up in the day to day that we can forget the big picture. But I'll do this exercise with parents or teachers and say, well, you know, what do you want his life to look like in 20 years? Where is he going to live? 
who is he going to hang out with? Is he going to go to karaoke on Tuesdays? What's his life going to be like? You know, and then you have to reverse engineer that. So the question is, well, what do we need to do today to get his life looking like that? And for a kid to, you know, maybe it's not working on some really structured language activity. Maybe it's that he doesn't have that intrinsic motivation to connect with his peers, or he doesn't have that intrinsic motivation to connect to adults. So ultimately, working on building that is what's going to make the really big difference in his life. Totally. And even finding like clubs or activities outside of the box where maybe they can find other children with the same interests. Like parents might think, okay, well, every kid has to play soccer. Well, this kid might not be playing soccer, but maybe he's into coding and there might be a coding club in the area that they didn't even know about, like, and where he, they can be surrounded by peers with similar interests. Definitely. And that's funny because it goes back to the autonomy piece, but also just parenting. How badly do we want to shape who our kids become? You know, we want to be in charge of what clubs they're in and what sports they play. And it, that's what happens when parents push their kids to do something their whole life. Then all of a sudden they give it up and they never want to do it again. So true. You know? so I had a conversation with my daughter today. I'm like, so you're going to do dance again next year, right? She goes, I don't know. I go, why not? She goes, it's tiring. I go, what are you going to do instead? I go, what are you going to do instead? She goes, I'll talk to my friends. I go, all your friends are going to be at the dance class that you're not at. <laughs> she's like, all right, I guess I'll do it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, she's like, I don't know. Oh like, I'm like, you tell me, I go, you tell me a club, like an activity. I will find it. I go, but to tell me that you don't want to do it because you're tired. Like, come on now. Like we've been stuck inside for too long. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's so true. It's really interesting to think how you can apply this to a preschooler who just might not want to play with the Play-Doh. They might only want to play with cars versus that older student who wants to talk about maybe video games and doesn't want to talk about sport. Like you can easily apply it to that mindset mm. to any age level. Yeah, there's this amazing book called How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. And it has so many strategies. I mean, to the point where it floods you with information, but it's such good stuff. And that's one of the things it talks about is how can we expect kids to want to do things that we find, you know, mundane and boring? Why would our kid want to clean up his bedroom? We don't even want to clean up our bedroom. So true. So it's, well, how can we make this fun? Okay, well, we need to go pick the flowers. Look at all the flowers that are on the floor. Let's put all the flowers in the pot and you're picking up socks and putting in the laundry basket or something. But it's so easy to do stuff like that in therapy. And I don't know if you're like this where you ever go in to work and then you just feel like you're having a day and you just feel stressed and you don't feel like you're kind of bringing your best self. And it's reflected in how the kids behave, you know? Oh, all the time. Those days where I'm like, mm, I'm not fully into it. Like, I, had a, you know, my child woke me up in the middle of the night. The kid's behavior is reflective. Yeah, you just got to take a breath and start thinking, okay, well, how can I enjoy myself? Because, and that's what I love to tell therapists is if you're having fun in your session, that kid is going to be having fun in the session. You really need to be enjoying yourself. You can't just fake it. People can tell when you're not genuine. Well, maybe not some of our kids can tell, (laughs) but you know, 
you really do put off such a contagious energy when you're excited about something yourself. So I think that being excited to be there and connect with the kids is one of the best things we can do. And I think something you said earlier, which really resonated with me, and I know a lot of people listening also, is it allows you to just not have to overthink and you don't have to plan. You just go with the flow. And that makes life so much easier when we have such so many other crazy demands on our plate. It does. And I think that just by writing goals that allow us to have the freedom to target what we want to target is a lot more helpful too. So one of the things I like to teach therapists how to do is write goals for engagement. So instead of these really structured goals, if I can write a a goal for engagement, then I'm free to do whatever I want as long as it's working on engagement. Can you give an example? Can you give an example? Like an example of one that you would write? Yeah, I actually just recorded a video on this. So it's probably going to come out in a couple weeks. But in floor time, we use circles of communication. And that's kind of how you measure back and forth interaction. So that's what we do in my clinic. We write goals for circles of communication. So it might be, you know, Johnny will engage in three to five circles of communication during a preferred activity or during a highly motivating activity, something like that. It's definitely something that takes practice to learn how to do, but it's very worth it. And for someone who's not familiar with the circle of engagement, would it be like turn-taking or something like that? Like, So it could be anything. So a circle of communication could be in a game. It could be in a conversation. The main thing to know is that there's this very big misconception that a circle of communication is just someone initiating and the other person responding. But the key is that you have to close the circle. So what we see all the time in kids with autism is what do they do? They come up, they make a request. Like say they ask you to open a toy box, you open it, you hand it back, they glue their eyes to the toy box and then they turn and they walk away. So they don't acknowledge you at all Mm -hmm. in any way that you just did what they wanted. So the key is that person needs to close the circle by acknowledging the person who responded to them. That would count as a circle. And it doesn't have to be verbal. It could just be an eye gaze. Huh. So I was thinking you were going to go totally different with that. I thought you were going to be like, oh, you want me to open it? Like, like, like tease them a little bit <laughs> and keep it going a little bit more. Like, like, oh, I need to open it more? Like, <laughs> that's what I was saying. But Oh, for sure. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, doing stuff like that for sure is a way, especially in floor time, that you would work on making interactions longer. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting that even just that closing the conversation is still a circle and, and not needing to overthink like my three extra steps that I said. <laughs> <laughs> so in case someone else wants to learn more about this, learn more about the intrinsic motivation and floor time, what would you recommend for that person to do? So there are a ton of free resources and trainings on stanleygreenspan.com, the website. So my website is asdfromtheinsideout.com. And then I'm on Facebook all the time, throwing up videos, blog posts. It's just my mission to teach people this material. (laughs) So everything I could do, giving lots of like free downloads and stuff like that on my Facebook page. 
I highly recommend checking it out. She's definitely been pushing out tons of videos and I see them <laughs> all the time. And if this is something you want to look into to make planning easier, it will reduce behaviors also and help with carryover. I like the concept of writing the goals so that you can develop these types of sessions. It's all about the goal. Starting with the goal, what are you looking for them to do? And then how are you going to get there? Versus I wanted to do that, but I can't because of the goal. Exactly. It's changing the mindset. It's all about changing the mindset yeah. and, and, and getting the same result or a different result, better result of anything. Yeah, definitely. Goals awesome. are your friends. <laughs> totally. And, and I think we all get so caught up on there's so many things they have to be working on. How do I only focus on this one thing? And it's like, you have to start somewhere. So what would you say to someone that says they have all these goals? How do you only work on that? I would say, well, depending on the age, but I would say <laughs> I could hit any goal through just give me a house or give me a couple people or puppets. You could hit any goal you want and that will still be fun. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. This was great. I've, I love talking about mindset as an SLP and how we can change our thought process in our planning, in our execution, in our prepping when it comes to goal writing so that we can have the ultimate results that we want. Like Jesse said, ways to find her, learn more about her. And I always end with a joke of the week. So I love to ask my guests if they have a joke. What joke do you have for us? Okay, this is <laughs> Mitch Hedberg. Do you know who that comedian is? No. Adult, adult comedian. <laughs> Absolute, my favorite one-liners. Well, mostly one-liners. Okay, so this is my joke. It's really hard for me to tell this without trying to impersonate him, and I'm trying so hard not to because it would be really embarrassing for me. Okay, this is a joke. I think Pringle's initial intention was to make tennis balls. But on the day the rubber was supposed to arrive, a big truckload of potatoes showed up. And Pringles is a laid-back company. They said, okay, cut them up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Jokes for days. There you go. No, but thank you so much, Hallie, for having me. And I really mean this. I feel like they're just – our profession needs more SLPs like you. And I think – the work you do is so amazing and I don't even know how you do it all. You're doing such awesome things and so many different things and you have this loyal, incredible audience and I think it's such a testament to who you are and the heart you have for what you do. Thank you. You didn't even have to say that. I, I, didn't, I didn't ask her to say that. Um, <laughs> no, I really do love you being in this. I love, right? I love the field I, like, and that's how you're so passionate about helping others and training others. It's all about making everyone's life a little bit easier so we can all help our students and also have lives outside of work too. And the more we are comfortable in our, in our everyday work life, the more we can leave work at work. And Absolutely. Not be, right. And that's the ultimate goal is be the best SLPs we can be and then walk through the door or upstairs or whatever we are doing these days and go into mommy mode, go into wife mode, go into dad, whatever mode you're in. And um, that's my passion is really helping people get their life a little back too. <laughs> so definitely, definitely. And, and coffee helps like, you know, so hence, the, hence the SLP coffee talk. 
It's all about that jolt of inspiration and energy needed to get through the day. <laughs> but thank yeah. you, Jesse. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Stay out of trouble. Deciding how to break down higher level thinking skills for our speech students can be a challenge for SLPs in the school. We have so many other things on our plate. The last thing we need to do is try to reinvent the wheel. And that is why I have available for you my free critical thinking visual aids ready for you and free and available on my blog. All you have to do is print them out or display them on a device or smart board or whatever you are using. I have them for inferencing, understanding literal versus inferential questions, compare and contrast, context clues. The sky is the limit. I am here to make things easier for you so you can teach your students. They can grasp those tricky concepts, build that confidence, and be more willing to participate with your awesome speech and language lessons. So head on over, if you haven't already, grabbed them to speechtimefund.com slash visuals now and get those free visuals today to add to your SLP toolbox. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.